I'll play back the levels the way you set them. Say it on me. Hey, pussy, are you still there? Lee. I back. People are always saying about the talk, and I talk, and I talk, and I talk, but guess who can walk? I back it up. I back it up. That means it's time to roll, baby. You got nothing going on between your ears, bro. Hey, John, do you think I'm just going to sit there and let you kill me, John? I mean, really. I think I could beat every girl in my division with one hand. That guy is such a dick. I mean, you show your true colors after a fight. That fucking guy comes up to me. You know who you are, huh? I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> Hope to God you come ready. I'm Mike and Morgan, and welcome to episode one. Actually, is it one five six? Or is it one four six? No idea. <laughs> Sorry. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep that in. It's a pleasure as always. <laughs> welcome to the Worldcast. Joining me, my sister from another Mister. It's G from World TV. What up, mate? What's going on? Uh, me, me messing up the intro. That's what's going on. It's <laughs> <laughs> all good. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Another weekend, yet another um, card from the UFC. And mm -hmm. I, I've got to admit, some um, some things which, uh, in terms of talking points, uh, has set the uh, set the Twitter sphere, uh, MMA Twitter at least, ablaze. Uh, I got a slew of mentions around particular elements which we're going to get into. Speaking of getting into this week's show, we're also joined by Liam McCourt, but also listener questions are no longer going to be in tweet form. You're actually getting involved with the show and we have um, some listener um, interaction this week. And um, if you do want to get involved in terms of like future editions, all you have to do is send us an audio file recorded on your mobile phone. Very, very short and to the point about any issue. It doesn't have to be about current affairs. It can be about any issue actually um, concerning you or that you've got a point to make about and you can join the show. Basically post it to comps and that's C-O-M-P-S at wotv.com. But on to this week's show. We had another stacked, um, well, I wouldn't say um, <laughs> uh, stacked, but it was an intriguing card to say yeah, the least. Um, yeah, UFC Norfolk took place this past weekend, and boy, did we have some talking points. Now, <laughs> I'm going to kind of, you know, for brevity, stick to the points which um, stuck in my mind and really, you know, stood out for me. And I'm sure you're going to do the same. But also, we're going to have um, the listener interaction uh, interspersed between that as well. So, you know, first and foremost, uh, as usual, I'm going to be starting off this WOCast with, uh, you know, teary eyes. We saw Tom Brees actually return to the cage and um, unfortunately sustaining a first round TKO loss to... Brendan Allen. Uh, I have to say, I, I was pleased to see him back, considering that Tom has actually been out for a while, and um, rumour has it, it was down to anxiety. So, then putting him on a card which was, you know, a few thousand miles away from home, I think was a good move. Less pressure, less anxiety, mm -hmm. and um, less stress. But um, that didn't really help him in terms of trying to secure... The victory there. He did look very, very confident. I'm sure you agree with me. At the Wayne, he looked like he was ready and raring to go. But unfortunately, getting into the cage, um, you know, he sustained that first round TK. I mean, what did you think of his performance? 
I he looked as if he wasn't prepared for the offensive wrestling that um, mm. Brendan Allen had for him. It just looked um, he looked overwhelmed. And I understand that Tom hasn't fought in quite a while, so maybe there was just maybe um, some ring rust there. But he looked hella prepared to fight. He looked fit. Yeah. He looked good at yeah. the weigh-ins. He looked to be in excellent shape. But as soon as the you know fight began, it was you know all about Brendan Allen. Mm. You know, and I just thought he he just his takedown defense and also a lot of the um, grappling exchanges between himself and um, Allen didn't he didn't look to be at his sharpest to me. And, so, and I mean, it's not thing. its not a comeback that he wanted, but, I mean, mm. hopefully he learns a lot from this, but he's got to get back in there right away again, just in case it is ring rust or whatever, but he's just got to turn right back around and come back in there. What did you think? You know, considering that he had that long layoff, mm-hmm. you could, like, attribute part of it to ring rust, yeah. but my worry was... Um, he is quite an accomplished wrestler as well as you know being quite strong on the feet so i was very surprised that you know when he you know was taken down and when basically he won he was on his back it was almost as though i'm not saying he was but it looked like he was turtling up because there weren't any defensive posture wasn't any defensive moves there wasn't any attempt to actually escape other than just to put his arms in front of his his head now the way that i look at it is this we haven't seen Tom in the cage for a while. And um, like I mentioned, you know, anxiety obviously has played a part in this, considering, you know, what's actually happened previously. One of the key things kind of like really to, to, to note about this is, you know, the strength of character that actually enabled him to actually dust himself down and to get into the cage. But you're right, absolutely right. He needs to get back sooner rather than later we don't want this to be the the kind of like defining moment in his career that he you know causes him pause basically makes him actually well take a step back and have a look at you know and assess where he's actually going in life no get back on the horse is my you know humble opinion here and i totally agree with you when you say you know he needs to do that with a quickness yeah he needs to shake those cobwebs off because i'm with you mike i think a part of this was ring rust and just being out of your element for so long and then you're thrust back into it the lights camera action you're back in the ufc you're facing some you know brendan allen and Mm. lights camera action he he faltered a bit you know he seemed to have stumbled a bit and it's just looked to me, I'm leaning with ring rust because Tom Breeze is a well-rounded fighter. He knows yeah. what he's doing. He has the experience. And he's pretty damn good. So to see him kind of look like a fish out of water led me to believe that his layoff was just a little too long. And the best way to come back from something like that is to get right back in the cage again and shake off those cobwebs. I think so. And, you know, iron does sharpen iron. We have to keep remembering that, you know, he's in there in terms of training camps. He's in there with, you know, Leon Edwards. He's in there with Fabian Edwards. And, you know, really and truly, the camp down at Renegade, really, they're a force to be reckoned with. So, you know, he's definitely in the right environment. He's definitely in the right camp. And I just feel perhaps, you know, the mindset needs to um, accompany that. Yeah. Just get back on the horse, get back on the bike, and, and keep riding. I think yeah, he'll be fine yeah. from it. I'm sure this isn't the debut that he wanted, you know? 
And I'm mm. sure the UK isn't, you know, happy. And especially, you know, round one, quick TKO. He didn't really get to showcase his skills. But I'm telling you, for him to get back in there as soon as possible would be the be- would be best for him. And also, too, I wonder if he's even going to have any suspensions or anything like that. So him getting, you know, you know, the TKO so early might have done him some good because now maybe he doesn't have any, you know, injuries or anything like that. So he needs to just get right back in there. Well, there is that. And, you know, part of the entire journey is actually making that walk, finally mm-hmm. making that walk. Because if you think about it, on two occasions, he didn't even make that walk. So, you know, I would reckon, you know, he's part way there in terms of, you know, getting back into the um, mix and getting back into the swing of things. Actually, he's made the walk. So, you know, that's part of the journey, isn't it? But for you, I know you are the prelim queen. Was there anything else on the prelims that, you know, kind of like struck or, or took your fancy or um, took your attention? Absolutely. And I was actually, I meant to tweet this, but I was hoping that you saw Gabriel Silver versus Kyler Phillips. Now, before I go into it, Mike, did you know that there were seven UFC debuts going on this whole fight card? Like this? Yeah, yeah. De- uh, UFC debuts was the uh, the, was the theme, the right? Yeah, that was the theme. Mm. And I was a bit, you know, nervous at first hearing that because I'm like, I don't know these guys. Are they going to be mm. scared? Are they going to have jitters? Are they going to just give us, you know, messed up, you know, fights? Or are they going to be boring and be nervous? No, absolutely not. Gabriel Silver yeah. and Kyler Phillips brought it. Mike, go back and watch this fight and also you need to keep an eye on Kyler Phillips this kid was just had his timing down so beautifully and he was coming forward with a bunch of combinations with impeccable timing and when he wasn't doing that he was throwing flashy kicks then when it went to the ground the the scrambling was to die for the the grappling exchanges were thrilling and Kyler Phillips again was always in a position to mount and it was just such like the sneakiest little exchanges (laughs) and fun fact Gabriel Silver is the younger brother of former UFC fighter Eric Silver Ah. so right so there was a little bit of a fun fact there Mm. and Gabriel Silver would not stop coming even though he was getting beat up and lost to like a you know a majority decision he wouldn't stop coming and he's if he might even be tougher than his older brother so Listeners and Mike, if you haven't seen this fight, Gabriel Silver versus Kyler Phillips is everything you want to see. And Kyler Phillips is a prospect to watch out for. That's all I got, Mike. Oh, I definitely need to (laughs) revisit that then. So in terms of the prelims, that, would you say, kind of like draws a line under that one? Or was there anybody else that you wanted to mention? Well, the prelims were... were Pretty decent. I like them. Um, Jordan Griffin and uh, excuse me, Jordan Griffin and T.J. Brown had a wonderful fight. I thought T.J. Brown was winning with his offensive wrestling, and Jordan Griffin just had about enough of it and just put him in a deep guillotine round two. That is a fun fight because the 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 tides changed, Mike. The whole fight, you're like, man, T.J. Brown is going to win this. And Jordan was like, no, I'm kind of tired of wrestling. I'm going to choke him out. It was so much fun. Um, Alan Cruz versus Spike Carlisle. Mind you, a lot of these people I'm unfamiliar with. Don't forget, y'all, there were seven UFC debuts, and Spike Carlisle came out like some crazy weirdo and, like, Hulk smashed his opponent, and it was wonderful. I mean, this is why I watched the prelims, Mike. I mean, even though there's a whole bunch of people I'm not familiar with, they fight to the death because they're trying to put their names on the map. They want to make, you know, um, like, they want to make a statement with their debut, so they come out and they put on a show, so... 
there was a few, and um, you know, Luis Luis Pena fought Steve Garcia. It wasn't a typical Uncle Violent Bob um, type of fight, but he won, and the grappling and and stuff like that was fun. And Steve Garcia was tough as hell. So I, I'll give these prelims like a, a B plus. They were fun, Mike. I, I'll give them that. Well, I think that allows us just to take a little pause and uh, hear from Pastor Kairos this week. <laughs> Let's do it. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you all. A lot of you love Henry Cejudo. Some of you guys hate him. Me, I like him as a fighter. I think he's kind of entertaining here and there. Sometimes he just doesn't know when to quit, though. He's like that kid who gets a little bit of attention in class, and then they fall in love with the attention, and they just take it further and further and further until people just have enough of their shit and just are like, Let, it's time to move on, buddy. But you know what I don't understand is people who claim Henry Cejudo saved the flyweight division. Now, what do you mean by save the flyweight division? Do you mean you brought attention to it? Do you mean you brought stability to it? Do you mean anything other than put it in a worse position than it is before you got it? Because that's what, exactly what happened. He ruined that division by winning the title, sending Demetrius to one, not sending him to one. He opted to leave because he felt like they didn't want him there in the first place. So then you're a dominant champion. He's an even more dominant champion. He leaves and you both leave and you leave the flyweights to fend for themselves. Well, guess what? We saw how that turned out last night. The man who cannot win the belt ended up winning the belt for goodness sakes. Not to mention, I'm pretty sure he made like 5k for that fight because of him missing weight. D Davison Figueredo, however you feel about him, did not deserve to make $5,000 for a title fight. Whether it's on ESPN, Fuse, Fox, FS1, uh, pay-per-view, whatever the case may be. I'm just going to cut this short and be real with y'all. There's no way in hell that man saved that division. He put it in a worse spot than it was before he got it. And now he's talking about coming back down there and defending the belt. Man, fuck you. You should have just stayed down there. Oh, my. I'm going to keep this short, you guys. He didn't save this division. He put it in a worse spot than it is. And I'm not going to have any other rebuttals towards this. That man needs help. Now, that is why I am so pleased that Kairos is on the team. He is absolutely incredible. And the fact is, for once, for once, Kairos has encapsulated every single thought, aspiration, and feeling that I have about this point. Man, he nailed it. Pastor Kairos is back. Well, I'm, I'm happy to welcome you to church because I feel like this every week, okay? <laughs> that is my pastor every recording, and I become a black woman in the front row t taking in the word of the Lord. So welcome to church, Mike. Mm. Amen. Really and truly, I mean, he nailed it when he said, you know, I I, I, I was punching yeah when he said, you know, really and truly, Cejudo <laughs> has done fuck all for the division. But you know what he has done? Mm. He has gone leaps and bounds to actually exalt his position. And, you know, kudos to him for that. But Kairos has nailed it. No one else has benefited from this apart from Cejudo. Um, yeah, that's why I get upset when people say, oh, he saved the division. He didn't save the division. He is actually um, self-promoting himself. Yeah, that's what he's doing. So people that are saying that he saved the division to me are Henry Cejudo fans that like his humor, his shtick and what he's doing versus a quiet champ like DJ who just thought, you know, that winning 
so many fights and defending his belt so many times in a row was enough to be champion, you know, but people like that Henry is selling this type of humor and being a double champ and, and whatnot. But I don't really think he did anything great for the division except maybe get some more attention to it and attention from people that are already watching the fight. He's not Conor McGregor. When I go to work, Mike, nobody turns to me and says, hey, talk to me more about Henry Cejudo. No, people want to talk mm-hmm. about Conor. People don't want to talk about Henry Cejudo. The people that talk about Henry Cejudo and the, and the attention and the eyes that he brought to the sport are already the hardcore fans like me and you and the people we interact with on MMA Twitter. The, the division is still in trouble and could be scraped whether he's at the top of the division or whether he relinquishes the belt or not because he never saved it in the first place. So I've got a question for you then. Sure. Considering that this game now is all about self-promotion, considering mm-hmm. there is a knock-on effect for the division if you have somebody within that division who is getting attention, who is getting um, shine for that division because he's getting shine for himself. Is it wrong what he's doing? I know it's very cringy. I know we have a a, a lot of problem uh, with exactly how he's approached it. But is it bad? Um, Not necessarily. I don't feel like he's crossing the line of inappropriateness or like, I think when he made the Aunt Jemima um, comment, he crossed the line because now you're pushing racial, you know, lines and whatnot. And I think so. that was yeah. inappropriate. But, you know, wrapping up his diapers, you know, wrapping up his belts and diapers and and coming out of women's bathrooms is just a humor that I don't get. But it is humorous to other people. So I don't think he's doing anything wrong, per se. It just doesn't mm-hmm. appeal to mm-hmm. me. But I will say I think it's wrong that he kind of pitched us this whole save the division, oh, Dana, don't scrape it, don't scrape it. And then he took it and used it for himself. He did not try to petition a fight between himself and Joseph Benavidez, which would have been nice for the division because now you're involving Joseph Benavidez and you're giving hope to other contenders in that division. Instead, he took it and he ran and tried to make a fight with Aldo and and Lomachenko. He, He abandoned the division himself when he got the crown. So I think that was wrong of him. Yes, I think that was fucked up. And it seems very hypocritical as well. So Now, again, just to, you know, hammer home a point that, you know, Kairos made. Mm -hmm. Look what has happened as a result, basically, of a division which was supposedly saved. It's basically back where where it was. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Because, okay, we're we're presupposing that Dana will, um, you know, bring down the sword of Damocles. But, I mean, really and truly, we're no further forward in terms of uh, saving the division, as it were. And doing something drastically different. I think I think the reason why you're seeing this online hysteria and then the reason why we're even discussing that the flyweight division is in hot water is because, I don't know about you, Mike, but I've noticed um, Dana White has had a disdain or maybe not an interest in the flyweight division since it has occurred. You know, DJ yeah. reported Dana's lack of enthusiasm. Dana has been very you know, honest in the media about it. And I have a feeling, and this is just my own suspicion, that Dana White Mm. is like the fans that just don't like this division, that they're too small or that it's just not an attractive division for him and it's not making him a lot of money, you know. So I think we need to just relax with the hysteria and just wait for Dana 
to make this call. But I understand why we're worried because right now Dana can throw F- Figueroa under the bus and be like, "Well, since you didn't make weight, the the, the you know the champion is um, vacant right now. So let's just scratch the whole division." So he he does have a scapegoat with Figueroa and this debacle that we have here and, and with Henry relinquishing the belt. So as MMA fans, we do know that Dana's sneaky like that. He could just scrape the division and blame it on a fighter instead of really saying what it is. So there is some truth to as to why we're in hysterics and worried about this division, but we need to sit tight and wait to see what Dana does instead of making these assumptions. Well, you're right, we'll but man, was that a knockout and a half. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I, I I don't think I've seen such pinpoint accuracy in the flyweight division in terms of a knockout for at least a couple of years. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to think of a knockout that, you know, kind of resonated on that magnitude. Um, when when um, Joseph Benavidez got knocked out by Demetrius Johnson, it kind of, you know, reminded me of this, even though it was a different yeah. um, technique. I believe one was a hook and this one was a straight right. But the reason why I bring them up is because Joseph Benavidez is susceptible to like Mm. a hard right hand or he does walk into, um, he can walk into a knockout punch. And this is what I was worried about leading up to the fight. And I tried to be as polite and ginger (laughs) as possible because, you know, Mike, stateside, Joseph is beloved here. No, I oh, no, really? I tried so hard to be so polite to his fans. No, you're laughing, but like he's loved okay. in the states. Like he's, you know, he's one of those guys that has never gotten a belt, but he is adored by fans because he's mm. like a family guy. He's never involved in any controversy. He's professional and he's a well-rounded, really good fighter. And he's known for those wrestling scrambles that he gets out of. Like he's just like a really good fighter, good dude, good husband. So America loves him. So the lead up to the fight, Mike, I tried as ginger as possible to warn everybody like Figueredo, yo, Joe might walk into his right hand. Joe, he might get knocked out on this one. Y'all, y'all need to brace yourselves. I know he's really good, but this Figueredo guy is somebody we need to look out for. And that is exactly what happened. Joe walked right into a right hand. And Mike, what'd you think of the headbutt prior to? You think that played a part into this no, um, knockout? Definitely not. I mean, if you look at the pinpoint accuracy that occurred there, I mean, you know, he had his faculties about about him before, you know, they were switched yeah. off. Joe was yeah. looking right at him too. Yeah. I will say this. I do think the headbutt was something that just happens in MMA. And it happens a lot. And Joseph kind of comes in there head forward, face forward a lot. As you can see, you know what I mean? That is something that he tends to do. However, he seemed distracted by the headbutt because he started to bleed. And if you watch the fight, because I watched it again this morning, he's wiping it away, but he's cognizant Mm. of his opponent. He doesn't seem, you know, like the birds are around him or he's stunned or concussed. He's looking straight at him. And don't forget. Yes, and Figueredo had him mm. figured out. If you watch the fight, Mike, Figueredo, all he's doing is figuring out his range and timing on this guy by eating a bunch of shots and just keeping his hand out and just measuring the, measuring him. And then finally he cocks back his right hand. He's got the measurement and the timing, and he unloads it, and the fight's over. And that is exactly what I was worried about. And I kind of knew it would happen. I hate to tote my own horn or whatever the saying is. I messed it up, I'm sure. But I was pretty worried for Joey B, and I was rooting for him. So it kind of sucks to see this. But now the um, division is in uh, a debate. What happens now, Mike? No, does Henry come back? No, nobody is the champion. Like, what's going on? And new and broke. What is the, what's the outcome? 
Well, we well that's do? just it. I mean, that's the million dollar question, which is going to be answered, I feel, in the next and the coming weeks. Because when you look at the situation we're in right now, we're right back um, to, well, right back to the start, because we now are in a situation where we don't have a champion. We're also yep. faced with the fact that if you put this on pay-per-view, how many people are actually going to shell out for this? Now, I, I think, you know, really and truly, <laughs> I can't really see many people being attracted by what the division has to offer. Now, especially when, you know, this debacle which transpired over the weekend has actually occurred, it really isn't um, a calling card or it really isn't um, good promotion for the division. Now, personally... I think Dana might have a point in actually cutting this if he does decide because ultimately this is about making money for him and that division doesn't actually put bums on seats. I remember journalists, you know, telling me that, you know, when DJ used to headline, they used to stack the actual card, but to no avail, people would leave after the co-main event had actually concluded. That's horrible. Just up and leave. So... If you want my personal take on it, this is a difficult one to call because we are no further forward. We don't have a champion. Yeah, no. I don't I don't care how much Figueredo celebrating he did in his post-fight speech, you miss weight, you are not the champion. And that's also very telling. If he was champion, are we going to have a champion that could miss weight on occasion? And just, you, you know, like it is a form of unprofessionalism. And my man, like you left the 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 division, you know, vacant because you, you obliterated Joe, but we can't crown yeah. you the new king. And Henry's not coming back, so definitely not what the flyweight division needed. But we need to wait to see what Uncle Dana has to say and what he's gonna do. Because you're right, I don't think a rematch sells. You'd have to stack it on a mm-hmm. major pay per view card. But there are some people like myself that are still interested in this division. And I mean, I'm even more interested in the division after seeing Figueredo do what he did, even though I kind of predicted that. I mean, I've been watching this guy for quite a bit now. He's on a hell of a run and he's very dangerous. So I'd like to see him with other flyweight contenders. And I would love to see him fight Henry Cejudo, <laughs> even though it's probably never going to happen. No, I mean, I talk shit. I don't like his his stick. I don't like his little self-promoting yeah. tactics. And just recently, he is now pledging his allegiance to Trump, which to me just sounds like you saw other fighters do that and get attention. So now you're doing it. So it's just going downhill for me and him. And not because of the whole Trump thing, but because it just seems so like fake and just so disingenuous. But at the same time, Mike, I think Henry is one hell of a wrestler boxer Mm. in MMA. And I think he's one of the best. And I want to see him fight the best. Can you imagine him and Figueroa going at it? That would actually be, yeah, that would be something to look forward to. And that is saving the division. If he was like, that's it, the king is back. I'm coming down to set things straight. And I'm going to show everybody I'm the best in both divisions. Mm-hmm. That's what I mm-hmm. wanted from him. Not him wrapping belts <laughs> and diapers and stuff like that. That's not what I wanted. And you didn't save shit. And I'm with Kairos. So preach on, brother. But I'm, I'm with exactly. him. Exactly. Now, you mentioned, you know, um, going downhill. Who isn't going downhill is Felicia mm-hmm. Spencer. I mean, that was a beautiful KO win. Yeah. 
And speaking of Felicia Spencer, one of the first people to actually um, send in audio was our man Stuart. I think it's about time that we uh, we heard from um, one of our listeners. Hi guys, um, Stuart here. How are you? So who do you think deserves a shot at the title for the featherweight women's division? Felicia or Megan? What is your opinion on this? Thank you. It's kind of nice to hear, you know, the voices of the people who um, we actually, you know, see on a daily basis tweeting. And I think it's great to kind of like get their perspectives as well. This is something which, you know, I want to keep on um promoting and ensuring that people have the opportunity to you know voice their opinions i have to say it's just kind of like following on from a theme that you brought to the show and that is you know why not involve those people who are actually um on a day-to-day basis um giving us their commentary why not involve them in the show but take it on a level and uh, let's literally hear from them yeah why not i mean they're a big part of our audience mike so i would and then i talk to some of these people like every day and it's really weird that i've never heard your voice or know your real name so this is like a really cool aspect of things and mike also remind people how to do it because there are a lot of people like me that are just not very technology savvy so remind people to record themselves recording a question or a comment to us and then send it to that email and we'll broadcast it and discuss it on the show because some people were like how do we do it g how do we do it and i'm like i don't know (laughs) let me email mike hold on (laughs) and and that's the great thing the technology that they um would need is basically in the palm of their hands most people have a phone which you can actually record audio on whether it's an iphone or whether it's an android phone simply just record using your own mobile phone and that audio file will be kept within your mobile phone which you will then send as an attachment to comps and that's c-o-m-p-s at woe and you know of the well the, the premiere audio that uh, we receive will actually air on the Let's show do it yeah but back to yeah back back to Stuart's point i think in terms of who i feel deserves the shot next um felicia spencer 100 percent. yeah i agree with you mike considering that considering you know where she is first of all in the rankings but also we have to remember we also have to remember that you know she's already beat megan anderson so she gets yeah, like that's that's what people seem to forget because it's like I've heard this question a lot. I have it in my mentions as well. So shout out to you, Stu, for asking a really cool question. Um, yes, mm-hmm. people are forgetting that Felicia Spencer made her UFC debut against Megan Anderson at UFC 152, Dos Anjos versus Kevin Lee. If you can remember back, she subbed her rear naked choke first round. That was her debut. Okay, and that is what got her the fight against cyborg which she lost to but in that loss she got a whole shit ton of new fans including myself because she went balls to the wall and she was like to me the only female that would not break under cyborg pressure she took about how many shots and still kept coming forward and still kept trying to implement her plan and even though she failed and i hate to use the word miserably because she lost concisely but she made a shit ton of fans doing it because she did it so well like if you're gonna lose lose like felicia spencer Go down like you're going Mm. down in a war. 
I cannot say that I have seen the same with Megan Anderson. In fact, Megan just showed us a knockout loss, and I'm not taking away from Megan's knockout loss. It was beautiful, but we've been waiting for that since you've come over, miss, from Invicta, because they hyped you up with your long limbs and your knockout power. But instead, we saw someone that struggles on the ground, even though you're a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. So her momentum is not there with me right now, and you've had like one impressive knockout in comparison to Felicia Spencer who puts in that work and Felicia already beat her give it to Felicia but I will say this Mike I think they both lose to Amanda Nunes but I think Felicia Spencer should have a crack at her first wow we're we're agreed oh Oh, we agree (laughs) in the house wow unreal (laughs) so On to the main talking point uh, of my Twitter mm-hmm. timeline, and I'm sure of yours. I mean, first off, this this next incident that actually occurred, uh, it, okay, we're not going chronologically, but in terms of my timeline, this has actually set it on fire. Kita <laughs> <laughs> Laba, um, marching forward oh before God. any action had actually been sanctioned. I think maybe, perhaps, karma uh, played a part in what actually transpired as the ending of this fight. I mean, what were you thinking when you saw him like marching, marching, marching over there? I burst there? out laughing because I was like, "This guy, Kutalaba, is no different from like a badass child. Like, the my man cannot behave. He can't behave at weigh-ins. He can't behave before the fight. He's always acting good and crazy and acting up, and it's hilarious. But I will say this that. When you act like that, you have to win. Or when you lose, the fans and the critics are going to be really hard on you. Remember how Anderson Silver oh, Anderson Silver likes to play too. But when Chris Weidman knocked him out, did we not complain? Oh, it's too much. Stop playing so much. But when he plays and he wins, we love it. <laughs> and Kutalaba just yeah. learned his lesson in that too. You're going to act like an asshole, walk across a cage, or you're going to act like an asshole at Wayne's and scream in people's faces for shock value, win your fights. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't don't play too much. I love the way, though. Go ahead. Exactly. I love the way that, you know, he marched <laughs> over to Uncle Iev's um, corner. And Uncle Iev just met him with face the, on the and hands down and just kind of like yeah. shucked him, shucked with, him with, aside. With proper yeah. technique, too. Like, oh, okay, we're starting early underhooks thrown to the side. It was hilarious. <laughs> and I loved it. And, you know, Uncle Iev never lost his cool from the weigh-ins to the fight. And, and I feel bad for the dude because he's probably just like, yo, I signed up to fight and I got all this instead. No problem. <laughs> But, you know, karma aside, I have to admit that 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 that, that, that ref. OK, well, he, I think, needs to be held accountable, which kind of like neatly yes. segues into, you know, our next um, listener. Um, I think it's only right that we play Dennis's view. Hey, Mike and G. My questions are regarding that stoppage by referee Kevin McDonald on Saturday night. We, we all know referees have a very hard job and they have to make very difficult calls, but that stoppage looked bad and in my opinion it was bad. Now when fighters see referee messing up that badly, how can they have any confidence in them if they're refereeing a fight that that fighter is taking part in? Assuming you guys agree that referees should face some kind of sanctions when they mess up really badly, what do you guys think should happen with Mr. McDonald? Should he simply be given a 
quote-unquote timeout or does he have to do some kind of remedial training what are your thoughts on this I think Dennis makes a, a, a really good question here and it's it's a question which keeps propping or co uh, cropping up time and time again I mean really and truly there needs to be some way or some shape or some form of actually getting inside a ref's head and you know giving him the platform to explain his actions and um, I think that is the sanction I feel as though when you make a call like that you should be in a media scrum after the event explaining your thought process and if basically you can't explain it and explain it in a way which makes sense and um, has some kind of like logic to it then yeah you should actually have some form of um, well training I wouldn't say sanction but definitely training I think I think a couple of things I think Kutalaba should appeal this decision right away because um, I do think uh, Kutalaba was joking around a bit and trying to play possum, but at the same time trying to counter Ankalaev. And what happened was is that maybe he played too good of a job playing possum, and the referee actually believed that he was like going out on his feet. But where I'm confused is that Kutalaba was one minute joking, like you know, acting like he was concussed or shaking around, and then the next minute. The fight was stopped after he threw a very hard overhand. How is somebody that yeah. is engaging with their opponent after they stop acting like they're wobbly and can manage to throw a very hard overwrite with evil intentions, why would you stop the fight? And I agree with you, Mike, he needs to have some sort of explanation. But as far as sanctions or discipline, I believe that discipline is progressive. Now, if Kevin McDonald had a history of, of, of um, calls like this or he was problematic, perhaps a sanction would be... Um, you know, perfect, but it should be progressive. We need to see Kevin's history with making calls like this, but it needs to be addressed. He needs to provide some type of, you know, explanation to a panel, to somebody, yep. and explain mm. to him why this stoppage is okay and just let the panel decide that, yes, we, we're going to go with the ref or no, we're going to overturn this. But yes, this definitely needs to be dissected and discussed with the commission. Absolutely. Again, agreeing. <laughs> I know it's it's crazy. It's like we're a happy we're, family we're two today. On brand. All, 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 all three of us are, are, are two on brand. I mean, that just goes to show you the crazy shit that went on this Saturday. That the house is <laughs> is tame and we're getting along. It's just I don't know. It just seems like a lot of like controversy with this card. But controversy is always good, though. We're complaining and talking about it, but it's good for the sport. Believe it or not. Little drama. Oh, one hundred percent. You know, just before we draw on the uh, the final couple of segments of the show, and that is Chisanga Malata and the interview which we've got this week from um, Leah McCourt. Damn, you know something. <laughs> Her name just completely went from my mind just then. But yes, Leah McCourt. Yes, I got you, Mike. Um, I, I think it's high time we heard from the last audio piece of info that we received from MMA Milken. Gee, Michael, how are you? How are you guys doing? It's MMA by Milliken. My question is, should Tatiana Suarez get a title shot when she comes back? She hasn't faced Andrade, Rose, so many shouldn't she face them first before fighting for a title take care so i i know that you know this 
isn't actually tied to anything which is current right now. But I love the question. So I just wanted to have him on the show. Oh, yeah. And I love what the question as well. Um, I uh, want, first and foremost, that he is a great follow. So you guys make sure you hop on that if you want to have great MMA discussions. Secondly, I'm in agreement with him. All those ladies that we have mentioned, they've all fought each other. So it's, yeah. it's only right that Tatiana Suarez get right in there and battle at least one of the, the ladies at the top of her division. Okay, I understand that she has wins over Alexa Grasso, Carla Esperanza, Nina Asaroff, but it's time for her to find out what it's like to meet these hands by Thug Rose or Joanna or Jessica Andrade. I think before we give her a title shot, she needs to fight one of the elites of the division that specifically have very good hands and its striking ability is what I mean by that. And I want to see what it's like for Tatiana to have to deal with somebody that can outstrike her immensely and also is her wrestling going to get the best of them. And I think since they've all tested each other, like we've seen Claudia fight JJ, we've seen Jessica Andrade fight Rose, and we've seen Rose fight JJ, it's only right that Tatiana be in that mix before she gets a title shot, in my opinion. Mike, what do you think? I love the fact that, well, I love the fact that, you know, she comes into this with a story. I love the fact that, you know, a, a title shot really does befit the story she's unbeaten mm-hmm. she's a cancer survivor yes. and really and truly her her tenacity and the fact that you know she is actually i think a beacon for um other mexican americans I, I i i really feel as though you know title shot is where this is at you know i i i fully endorse it no but do you endorse it without her fighting the top of her division like the roses the andrage do you give her one of those ladies first or do you give her a title shot as soon as she comes back from her injury what do you Give I give her a title shot as soon as she comes back from her injury because as I say I knew we wouldn't couldn't I knew I knew I knew we couldn't just have a nice show and agree on everything God damn it but let's let's go (laughs) again we're back to the old adage for me I love a good story I love a good narrative I love um, the romantic aspect of this entire story and that's where I'm really coming from it's the narrative I know people hate this word Kairos but. (laughs) I really feel, I feel as though, you know, the narrative here is a strong one. And that's why, you know, this gets my full thumbs up and full endorsement. Oh, wow. And you know what's so funny? I would love for Milken, if he had um, gone into more detail with his answer. And because of this question, Mm. because me and you don't agree, I'm going to make this the topic of discussion on my page. Thank you, Milken. I'm about to steal your little storyline and get to discussing (laughs) it on my page because I I firmly do believe that she needs to put in work like everybody else and, and fight one of those ladies. I mean, they've all fought each other. It's, it's almost like a rite of passage in that division for you to fight J.J. or Thug Rose or Andrade. Like, it's just, those are the rules. You know what I mean? So, before she gets a title. I mean, even um, Welly Zhang, she's new to the group and she happens to be champion. But I guarantee you she's going to fight those ladies one by one if she keeps defending. And Tatiana has to do the same before she gets that title shot. That's just how I see it. But that's mm. just my opinion alone. But I'm, this is a great question, Milken, because I'm really going to milk this on my page and see what's up. I should do a survey or something because now I'm intrigued. <laughs> I think it's about time that we uh, brought in our man Chisanga Malata.
UFC returns to pay-per-view action this weekend with UFC 248, which takes place at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Headlining the card is an eagerly anticipated middleweight title fight between new champion Israel Adesanya and perennial contender Yoel the Soldier of God Romero. That fight, of course, will be preceded by another title bout, which comes in the form of a women's strawweight title fight between defending champion Weili Zhang, or if I'm saying it correctly, it should be Zhang Weili, and former champion Joanna Jojacek. Right, starting off with the main event, Adesanya versus Romero presents a really interesting stylistic matchup, and one that I believe is probably going to be Israel's toughest fight to date, and probably will end up being the toughest fight of his career. Everybody, and I mean absolutely everybody who has fought Yoel Romero, say that they the the that part of their part of their soul. I was about okay, maybe if you're in the case of Luke Rockhold, but they leave a part of them in the octagon when they fight Yoel, and I think the same thing is going to happen again with with Izzy. It's going to be a grueling, grueling fight. But the fight, of course, is a classic striker versus grappler matchup with Izzy being the former and Yoel being the latter. Yoel is undoubtedly the most decorated wrestler Israel's faced in the UFC, but as we've seen in Yoel's last five fights, he's not made the use of his best weapon, which has been surprising, perplexing, and ultimately very shocking to say the least. And when you analyze this fight, it's safe to say that his route to victory lies in him making use of that wrestling and trying to keep Izzy on his back. Doing that, however, and getting to Izzy in general will be a lot easy is a lot easier said than done, sorry. If Yoel recklessly presses forward in an attempt to get that takedown, he's gonna find himself eating some expertly timed counter strikes. I mean, look at the slick counter striking Israel used when Robert Whitaker blitzed him and Bobby Knuckles set up sets up his blitzes very, very well. So if he's able to do that to Robert, then I think he's gonna have repeated success doing that to y'all and even if you all manages to get close to israel to initiate the clinch he's gonna be hard pressed to take the fight to the ground israel showcased some very very good takedown defense during his time in the octagon in particular and in particular the fight to me that highlights that was the fight against Derek bronson i believe that was at ufc 230 cormier versus lewis and if i recall correctly Izzy stopped all of Derek's takedowns and the closest Derek got to taking him down was when he actually cheated by grabbing him on the shorts. So that that fact in itself attests to Izzy's takedown defense. So the more and more I think about this fight, something tells me we're going to see Izzy stuffing a lot of takedown attempts and y'all getting hit with a lot of counters. I'm not sure if Izzy's going to get the stoppage because Yoel is durable as they come, so I foresee the fight going the distance. That being said, if Izzy is going to get the stoppage, it's going to come in the championship rounds when Yoel is fatigued, and fatigue does beset Yoel in the later rounds, as we've all seen before. So my official prediction for this fight is Israel Adesanya to beat Yoel Romero via unanimous decision. Moving on to the co-main event between Zhang Weili, that's the correct way to say it, and Joanna Jonjacek. For me, this is a lot harder fight to call. And that statement isn't solely based on the pair's respective skill sets. I'm saying that because I'm not sure what Joanna Jonjacek is going to turn up. Joanna looked phenomenal in her last fight against Michelle Wars, and I believe that was last October. But she's been very, very hot and cold in recent years. And 
against the creme de la creme, i.e. Valentina Shevchenko and Rose Naman Yunus, she's come up short and she hasn't been able to impose her will the same way that she did when she was in her pomp. And at this moment in time, Zhang Weili is the creme de la creme. The manner in which she dealt with Jessica Andrade was picture perfect and really showcased her high level of striking. Now, granted, Andrade did play right into her hands by recklessly coming forward and showcasing virtually no head movement, but you got to give credit where credit is due. And for me, when I go back and when I rewatch that fight, the lack of movement from Andrade has made me wonder if Zhang is going to have similar success against a very elusive Joanna. As we've seen countless times, Joanna is very light on her feet and relies heavily on her footwork to implement her game plan. I don't think Joanna's going to want to stand and trade with Weili for too long, and I think she's going to utilize her aforementioned footwork and reach advantage, which she should have as she's the taller fighter, to land shots from outside the pocket. The more and more I assess this fight, the more and more I don't foresee it going to the ground at all, and I think it's going to be a very kickboxing-oriented match. As for who's going to win it, I'm going to go with Weili. Joanna, I feel, has been blowing hot and cold for too long, and I believe her best days are soon going to be behind her. Also, and given the fact that she was on the receiving end of a very crude and insensitive coronavirus joke, Whaley's going to be more motivated than ever to put a beating on Joanna's ass. I had a dream the other day that Whaley actually stopped the fight in the third round after catching Joanna, attempted to come in with a heavy shot. So that's going to be my official prediction. Weili Zhang to win via third round TKO. Okay, guys, that's all for me. Chisang Gamar from the Daily Star and Daily Express. Take care and enjoy the rest of the show. I think, or I hope, that we are going to be on the same page and back in harmony because <laughs> I totally agree with everything Chisanga said there. In terms of outcomes, I do see that, um, you know, whilst yo romero i feel was gifted this i don't see him coming out victorious and similarly um while she wasn't gifted this she did look incredible um in her last bout um joanna yunjechik again won't have her hand raised for this so i agree totally in terms of the predictions that um um chisanga's actually put forward um yeah and i think um we're all going to agree on this as well which is again another shocker but yes mm -hmm. i do think israel adesanya has the fight iq to beat yo romero i think he's going to make mid-fight adjustments because that's how you beat yo you got to be light on your feet and you have to make decisions quick as this man keeps coming forward and i think izzy yeah. is the man that is capable of doing that and i also think he's well-rounded enough to, like Jasenga said, to defend the takedowns and also counter Yo Romero as he's coming in and to use the proper angles he needs to use to connect on Yo Romero's chin. And and Jasenga did a great job this week because I agree with him with everything. I don't think this is going to be a KO on anyone's part. I think Izzy wins, but I don't think it's a KO. I think it goes to decision. And I think yeah. they're going to fight to the death. I think we're going to see another very tense barn burner similar to Izzy versus Kelvin Gastelum, you know? Mm. And I no, think we right. should, you know, buckle up and get ready for that. And as far as Zhang Wiley and Joanne Jojacek, um, I agree with Chisanga. I think Joanna's going to try to keep her on the outside and utilize her footwork. And uh, Zhang doesn't really use a lot of head movement, but she's got her own footwork as well. And she's a hell of a kickboxer. And I do think JJ's best days are behind her. And and I do agree with Chisanga. This has now become personal with that meme and, and that and that um, 
distasteful joke that Joanna made, and I think Zhang is a very proudful woman, more than people let on, more than people know when it comes to China and, and her work ethic and how they've been, you know, just how that the whole how China trains their children and their martial artists, how serious they take this. And then you want to insult her. I highly doubt mm. that she goes home a loser that night, you know. And I, I just I think Joanna's days are behind her. So I, I, w- I will. I'm happy to report that the house is in harmony, as you said, like <laughs> we agree, <laughs> you know, you know, it's a timely um, point. Seeing as though we're talking about strong women, proud women mm. um, to segue neatly into our guest this week. And that is Leah McCourt. On this week's WOCast, coming off a spectacular victory over Judith Ruiz, it's Leah the Curse McCourt. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, congratulations on, uh, first of all, headlining and making history, but secondly, over your victory. Now, you kind of like lived up to your nickname, the curse. I understand that running up or in the run up to... um, your uh, headline bout, you had a bit of a, well, a bit of an injury with your orbital bone, right? Yeah, that's right. So the day I um, I got to call about the uh, main event, I went sparring that night and I threw somebody so hard in sparring, I headbutted them on the floor. Wow. Like when, when we landed and I chipped my orbital, I, I literally looked at Owen straight away and went, Owen, like, and I, because I thought my eyes split. So I don't care if it's bumped or bruised, but I thought I had split and I'd have to get stitches. And he goes, no, no, Leah, it's okay, it's okay, it's not split. And But because it was that sore and the crack was that loud, I was like, something has happened. Like, I knew something had happened. And I woke up the morning, next morning and couldn't open my eye. I was, like, trying to open my eye. And, I mean, for, like, two weeks, I couldn't open my eye. I couldn't get touched. Like, I couldn't spar after that moment. Um, So, of course, that was my uh, lead-up into the fight. I also actually had a grade two tear my glute two weeks before that and i mean there's a picture of my glute and it is black with bruising it wow. i was doing i got kicked in that and i could hardly walk i mean the pain the pain of the leg was way worse than the eye the eye looked bad but the, my leg was was pretty bad but like every fight camp has is gonna something's gonna happen dramatic so i have to just get used to it don't <laughs> yeah but for a headline bout for that to ha- actually happen yeah. that must have been pretty scary stuff but you know one of the things i was quite intrigued about was in terms of opponent, how did it actually feel in there? Because I have to say, it was squeaky bum time, if you don't mind me saying for myself, <laughs> actually watching you transition from that armbar and actually escaping. It, it seemed yeah. as though at no point were you worried or phased at all. No, no, no I like it to be honest. Um, watching Judith, I knew everybody was underestimating her. Everybody was thinking, oh, the, like, like I knew how experienced she was. I knew her MMA grappling was was um, tricky the way she, I, I watched some of her fights and, you know, people are like, oh, you're a smasher, you're a smasher. And, but if you're, if you're a fighter, you can watch people's movements, you watch how they react, you watch how they defend, you know. I knew every time I was going to take down, she had that deep underhook and if I was to transition quickly, she would take my back. I, you know, I had to fight a smart fight rather than go out and try and get a fancy highlight and finish and I knew that's what I needed to do going into the fight. You know, she was um, technically very good on the, on the ground and her, she was, her defensive grappling was very good. Um, so yeah, it was it was um, I just had to not panic, you know. I did rush a few transitions and positions, and because obviously it was um, wanting wanting to get a finish, but and I, I didn't, and and it's just it was a good fifteen minutes experience, you know, and um, I'm happy, just happy with the results. 
and just on the experience um some would say including myself that you've made a rod for your own back now in that surely it's a main event or co-main event for for you uh from here on in right <laughs> let's hope so i hope so you know i felt like i dealt with it well dealt with the pressure and dealt with it maybe and you know i i you know i'm so i always feel i'm i'm so i always i'm on a massive platform like my professional debut was on the main card on a bt sport card you know i i never have time to develop or really come into my own because every single fight is on a massive platform so i and but i have maturity to know that like I, I haven't developed as a fighter i want to be yet i'm not you know, showing all my skills in all areas, and I have to just take one test at a time and just conquer that and keep moving and keep leveling up with each fight camp. You know, and like my mentality is good that way. That I don't expect to go out and have highlight reel finishes every single fight. You know, I was only three and one. And I was headlining the three reel in Dublin, so I just have to manage my um my you know my expectations of myself because no one's going to be harder on me than I am on myself. So uh, yeah, it was it was a good night. You know, what really does intrigue me about you is that I've not heard you talk about it at any great length, but the struggles that you had, you know, in the come up, and that was, you know, you you touch on it slightly when you talk about the fact that, you know, you're a single mum from basically a council estate, just casting your mind back. I don't want to put a downer or a negative uh, aspect to this, but it would seem that that negative aspect has actually propelled you forward, spurned you forward, giving you the kind of like inspiration you need to succeed. But just talk me through those struggles. I mean, how difficult was it? You know, like I, you know, we, we, I didn't come from, we came from nothing. Like my, my, my family, you know, I used to, like my work ethic has always been, I've always had it. I used to work, go to school um. I used to get up at seven, go to school, not come home until four, half four, sorry. Then I used to work in a restaurant at five until 12. Uh, when I was like 13, 14, I used to do this three nights a week. I had three jobs. I was work- I've always like been really, really extra driven and extra like being a bit different that way. Whereas I will, I will work and grind and, and I'll like not sleep. Do you know, I was working and like literally was if I was up at seven, I was going to bed at 12 and I didn't have a second. I was at school and then I was working. Do you know, so I've always had a drive and always wanted to um, make the most of, out of any opportunity I have. And yes, like having Isabella Young was, was a tough task. And there's a lot of stuff that, that I don't talk about and a lot of stuff that I think, do you know, things have happened to me that you know, some things are better left unsaid and like people close to me know and like people know my real struggles but like I never want to be an x-factor story like or never want to be clickbait so I don't talk about things but yeah I think it's good to see like other people can see a mum um with a young daughter going out and, and and doing things that other people maybe think aren't possible or isn't possible do you know but yeah I don't I don't like to really talk about that much because there's so much drama in my day-to-day life to keep everybody entertained <laughs> <laughs> And talking about the drama, I mean, getting back to fighting, obviously, um, you actually coming off that uh, victory, I'm sure you would have heard the chatter. I'm sure you'd have seen the fallout around James and Cal. I mean, what's your your opinion on that? There seems to be, you know, what used to be a cordial, almost a friendly banter between them now has turned quite bitter. What's your take on it? I didn't, sorry, I didn't really say, but like what, I didn't really hear or see much of that. What was that about? I don't really understand. Well, essentially, um, what happened was Cal came on the Wocast uh, stroke Woe TV and um, was quite, what's the word I'm looking for? Pissed off that James, um, in his words, and again, this is his words, I've got a lot of respect for James, so I would never slight him. I've got to, you know, refer to what Cal was saying. In short, 
he felt as though the injury wasn't as bad as he'd made out because no, he, you know he no, was doing leaps I, and bounds on the night no I, I i definitely disagree i think james is an absolute superstar and he would do anything to not put out of a fight you know he's so young he's so he's so wise for his age you know i trained with him in belfast i was over in renegade for a bit we did a bit of training you know and i like james would give me advice he would message me and dude i just feel like he is so wise beyond his years and he's so knowledgeable in in training and fighting and, and in every area like he definitely wouldn't have been pulling out unless that injury was and i, and I like sorry i actually his physio was is the guy that was looking at my hip and i know the, the extent of how bad that was so james made such a good decision for his career you know he's so successful so young and he needs to take care of himself and his body to, to um and he made the right decision and you know they're gonna fight in in um in london and i can't wait for that fight it's going to be incredible. I mean, just sticking with James, um, I love the fact now, if I'm honest with you, that it's um, there's a little bit of animosity there because it was too friendly for my liking. I like um, James when he's coming with the full fire and I'm glad that, you know, he's kept that energy, that momentum as well. But just yeah. just talking about his energy, it seems a million miles away from where you were at. Why is it that your demeanour is always so calm, so um, serene, and you seem like, you know, nothing phases you? Where are you actually drawing this energy from? Oh, like, <laughs> I am drawing it from somewhere. And, and <laughs> you, might, that, you know, there's a, a lot of stuff that's happened in, in my life. And, and I definitely, I don't need any kind of confrontation. I don't need any motivation to, to succeed. I have I have it all inside me and my belly. And it's a fire that burns. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. But like, like James is, is um, he deals with so much. And, and I don't think he would understand but what like the amount of stuff that he would have to deal with to be the position he's in and to, to, to take everything in his stride. And, he really he's um, he's unbelievable I've, I've grappled with him i've sparred with him and he is he's just world class he's 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 unbelievable and that's another thing i'm quite taken by your mental fortitude you seem to be mentally robust is that through just your own mind conditioning or are you using like a, a psychologist or a mind coach no do you know i as, as a, a, a lot of life experiences have a lot of um do you know, I have, yeah, I have a lot of life experiences and I'm a Christian. I, I go to church, I pray, I trust that the, like everything I'm doing is for a reason and, and that's really where I get my strength from. I don't, don't I have a lot of good people around me. I have do a lot of best, three best friends, Emma, Una and Molly McCann, and they are, they're like my therapists, my WhatsApp therapists. They get me through every day. <laughs> so, yeah. Second to last question. One of the key things which um, I was quite keen to um fan flames of was uh brian moore brian pikeman moore and um uh, ricky bandea seem to be well plotting hopefully what looks like a, a third mm. go at defending the That's sbg yeah. honor now just in terms of uh the stoppage do you feel that franz malambo um was actually rescued in that fight because he seemed to be out on his face i mean what what's your take um, I to be honest, I didn't see the full fight. I seen the stoppage. I seen Franz jump up immediately after, and I, I, I honestly don't think I'm in a position to say. I don't know the referees there to to kind of look after us fighters, and, and that's the most important thing. And Franz is an absolute, he's world class fighter. He's unbelievable, and he's always going to be in there to to the to the end. Um, he did seem pretty fresh when he jumped up. You know, he did seem, uh, you know, he, he was very coherent and, and you know speaking straight away. 
sometimes you do get dropped and you, and you, you should be allowed a second or two to recover. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm not a referee and I never, hopefully never, in fact, I so just a just a final question. Um, try as we might, we don't seem to be that successful in getting Stormzy's attention. Yeah, I was going to say, what is going on? Has he actually deleted his Twitter because everybody keeps tweeting him to, to, to walk me out? <laughs> like we need to do it. And for my next fight, he will. He has to do it. Put it this way: I'm going to tag him in this interview and. Um, Twitter and his Instagram. How can we contact him? Put it this way. If he has deleted his Instagram and his Twitter, there are means by which you could actually get in touch with him if you turn up at his concert. When is it that he's in Ireland? Mm -hmm. When's he doing the Ireland gig? Not until September and I'm fighting before then. So, Ah. um... (laughs) Well, it looks like you're breaking news here. I mean, you talk about fighting before September. Will we see you on the London card then? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> well, thank you for the little bit of breaking news there. Leah, it's been incredible. <laughs> it's been incredible catching back up with you and congratulations again on an incredible win. Until next time. Okay, thanks. Bye. I like the way, I'm not sure if you, you kind of like clocked, but I like the way that, you know, she's really not um Uh, averse to talking about her past the fact that she has actually struggled that she has actually as a single mum from a council estate you know basically been through some wars now while she didn't elaborate while she didn't give details I mean it was just enough for her to acknowledge that and acknowledge that publicly that kind of like in well is one of her most endearing um, features in that you know, she's forever pressing on and she's an incredible ambassador for Bellator as well. She's absolutely everywhere, whether it be TV, whether it be radio. And, you know, she's got the energy and I think the drive really to, oh, to make totally it to the agree. top. We're going to agree again. Weird episode. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to agree again. And I kind of like that she doesn't harp on the single mom and, you know, the drama aspect of things because... I respect her for being a single mom and having she and she even said it in the interview was so interesting. She's like, I have so much drama going on in my life. And I believe her. You know what I mean? There was just something about the way she said it. But I like that how she doesn't use it to be a victim and and, and get people to respond Mm. to her in that way. She doesn't want you to feel sorry for her. In fact, you know, working three to four jobs to her is something that is not normal to a lot of people, but was normal to her. And it was no sweat to her back. And her being a single mom and having to work a lot of jobs, I don't know that resonates with me. I consider myself a hard worker as well, but I don't need people yeah. to tell me thank you or that you're proud of me. It's just a part of life, you know, and that's how it sounds like Leah takes these these things on and it translates mm. well into the ring. Like, she's already got a hard life. She's a single mom. She's taking it in stride. She's got drama and she's just, she's still kicking ass, you know what I mean? So that translates into the ring. I'm sure it's really hard to be a single mom and a Fighter, but because she's so tough and don't want to talk about it and be a victim, it it works out well in her favor. She's tough, 
But then at the same time, super sweet and giggly. It's cute, you know. <laughs> what I liked about her whole approach is that, you know, her past actually punctuates her life. It doesn't actually define it. And she's forever, like, pressing yes. on, which is incredible to hear and to see. Yeah, and, and, and I like that. That's just kind of, isn't that mm, life, Mike? Exactly. Like, we have, to deal, we have to deal with grieving. Sometimes somebody close to you dies. Sometimes you lose your job. Sometimes you mm. have depression. But guess what doesn't stop? Life yeah. doesn't stop. You got to yeah. pay the bills. You got to be a parent. You got to be someone's mom. You got to, and that's what I think she's doing she's like Mike I have mad drama in my life next and I have a fight coming up I might be fighting at Bellator London you know what I'm saying I'm with you Mike like are you or are you not like what's what's the word <laughs> you know she's like oh, I can't you know I don't want to say but it was so cute but at the same time that's that's life you go through mad shit and you pick yourself up and you exactly. keep going and that's how you win I, I mean, I, I liked um, her interview and I like what she's about. It, it's just easy for me to resonate with her, even though I'm not a fighter. Oh, definitely. You know? Well, that about wraps up this episode of the Wocast. As usual, you can interact with us on Twitter. I'm at MikeWoTV on Twitter and G can be found at G Spot MMA. And don't forget to record your questions and comments and send them to that email address that Mike has been harping on all episode i want to hear your voice and i want your question until next time make some trouble say it on me all right